0: Welcome, everybody, to Drive to Win. I'm Justin Bell, your host. The show is presented by The Win Las Vegas and brought to you by Mobile One for the love of driving. Well, you might have noticed there was no Grand Prix at the weekend, which gave us all lots of time to think about other things in our life. For me, it meant I headed up to WeatherTech Raceway Laguna Seca to host Porsche's Ren Sport Reunion 7. An extraordinary event that only held every four or five years, five years in the case of this one. Porsche's 75th birthday anniversary and pretty much every legend that's ever driven a Porsche was there that's still alive. And uh, from, I mean, Mark Weber in today's world all the way through to Jackie X and Brian Redman, David Piper, just and my father, Derek Bell. It was an incredible weekend, actually. It just brought home how much heritage and passion there is for the brand. I had a great time but that was that's what I did my weekend off. But also I was thinking about what was going to be happening in the lead up to the next race taking the advantage of a couple of really good conversations one with Danny Sullivan if you remember he was one of our guests Mr. Spin to Win on the way to Indy 500. He's still doing some officiating uh, one of the stewards at Formula 1 and he gave me some insight into the kind of money that these guys are making which is crazy. Uh, the kind of money that, well, you think when you look at football players and basketball players, the elite, those guys on their 100 million plus contracts, well, that's normally over a couple of years or so. Max is making pretty much that over the course of one year between his salary, his bonuses and his sponsorship, sponsor uh, commitment. So kind of wild, really. Um, anyway, that was that was pretty cool. Uh, I also got to speak with Mark Weber. Mark is the... I mean he was in Formula 1 he won 9 races in Formula 1 I mean really a guy that could have gone on to be a world champion huge success in sports cars afterwards but he is also Oscar Piastri's manager and that was really interesting to me just being able to ask someone that is with Oscar side by side helping him nursing him nurturing him through this you know his uh, his uh, rookie year in Formula 1 and he said the kid's that good he just said he is unflappable He just doesn't seem to get overly emotional about a situation and he's always wanting more, always driving to get more from every session and himself and definitely the mark of a champion. So, I mean, great to hear that from the horse's mouth, so to speak. And uh, also, you know, because that's what we've been, you know, you and I doing the show have been pretty much come to the same conclusion that there's a guy that will be a... Will be a champion as well. So that was pretty good um, news on the on the sort of home front. Really, here has been the fact that yesterday morning across social media uh, we saw that uh, Andretti's Formula One bid has been approved by the FIA. Now, what that really means is, yes, time for a celebration. I'm sure that the Andretti's and maybe they open the champagne. They haven't drunk it yet. Uh, remember Mario not too long ago on this show couldn't comment about where they were. Now we know why. They were right up against that decision coming through. FIA approval means they have been given the overall nod. Now they have to go to FOM, Formula One management, and plead their case. And As we know, there's been a lot of pushback about bringing another team, an 11th team to the grid for cars 21 and 22, so to speak, and... It's because there is a, at that point, a dilution of the prize money, of the fund, of the commercial money that comes in against Formula One. There's a $200 million sort of bunce that you have to pay just to play in Formula One. And that was set before the current day explosion of Formula One's popularity, which now the other teams argue should be up to maybe $600 million to take your seat at the table, which is obviously... Pretty shocking in in anyone's economy, but it shows how proprietary and territorial they are over the money that they make. I think that the big question has to be: Does an outfit like Andretti with the Cadillac backing bring the opportunity to increase the revenue opportunities, especially with the American interest? The three races we have, so I think that's that's where that's going to what going to be the, their argument. I know Zach Brown has put together some very good cases of why we should allow it. There's other team owners and managers that are against it, but I think in the long run we'd see that it was a good thing. And also, it is Andretti, Mario Andretti name that's coming back into formal one I think as I, I, I mentioned it when we had him on the show. I think it's one of still one of the top, you know, 10 brand names, recognizable brand names in the world. So that I mean that's big news, big news for us and I'm sure they now have to go in front of a very aggressive and very, um, how would you say it? They're an organization that knows their worth and they know their worth is going up. So that's what they're going to be in against when they get in the room with all the stakeholders in Formula One management. But we hope that happens. Um, the other news is Daniel Ricciardo, Ricciardo is uh, delayed getting back in the car this weekend in Qatar. He is going to join back in in Formula One in uh, at Austin. The the demands of a Formula One car, especially with the kind of fracture he had uh, on his wrist, means that he just can't do it. And they want to get him in the sim. They want to do a bit more. I'm sure it doesn't also harm that uh, Liam Lawson is running so well in his seat that it's not like they're they're in a hole and they need digging out. But obviously, mentioned it last week. Hot on the heels of the news that um, Yuki Tsunoda and and Ricciardo will be you know back as teammates next year means. That one more opportunity for Liam Lawson to show what he can do is not a bad thing. But have you been thinking about something like I have, which is, what about uh, and at what point? And again, I don't mean to jump down um, Sergio Perez's neck, but if he continues to to have this, it's lack of relative pace to to Max Verstappen and and the issues he's having. Could you see, I can see two ways of this going. Do you, could you see a Daniel Ricciardo going into that seat and then Liam Lawson falling into the Alpha Tauri seat? That could be a possibility, but and I, I can't wait to ask my guest in a minute about this. Um, could you see uh, the opposite happening? Could you see Daniel being kept in Alpha Tauri to help develop and bring that team on and you stick the young... Wonder Kid in the Red Bull next to Max. Who knows? Maybe that's what I'd do. Um, so anyway, that's probably one of the big, the big things that I'm, I'm thinking. That's what I was thinking this morning over coffee. Well, I can't wait to get into all that and more with our guests. But before we do, let's talk the Las Vegas Concourse. I just came out of a meeting actually, out there on the famous Wind Golf Course, and just seeing the setup for this November 11th event is pretty amazing. I mean, well over 100 cars, awards in every category from hypercars through to concept and culture. We've got electric and alternative-fueled vehicles. Um, I mean, really, from European classics all the way through to post-war American sports cars. There is something for everybody. And the nature of this event, the genesis of it, is let's remove the stuffy boundaries, the straw boaters and gold buttons on blue blazers that really typifies the car concord scene around the world and do it the way the win las vegas would which is beautiful cars amazing backdrop celebrities huge crowds best food in the house and that's really what we're looking forward to i'm going to be hosting it uh with april rose and i think it's going to be something very special so go to lasvegasconcourse.com Check it out. Check out how to be here. Tickets are actually incredibly affordable. Make it a family event. And don't forget, because we have the Grand Prix coming up, the whole theme, the cars you're going to see is resonating with the ultimate and inaugural Formula One Grand Prix of Las Vegas coming up just a few days later. So don't forget, LasVegasConcours.com and come and see for yourself. As we hadn't got a guest at the weekend, there's so many things I want to talk about generally in Formula One. And then previewing this weekend's race, I want to bring on our guest for today, Tommy Kendall. Tell me, to anyone in America known as TK, is one of the most popular figures in the American motorsport scene. He is a multiple champion. He's a Hall of Famer. He is a four-time tran- Trans Am champion, dominated in one season, winning nearly every race. He went on to drive at Le Mans. He's driven NASCAR. But in June 1991, TK had the kind of crash that would normally take you out, uh, maybe from this world to the next at Watkins Glen. He hit the wall and he is a tall guy. He's over six foot, six foot four, six foot five. And it basically removed his ankles for all intents and purposes. Really took him out at the height of his career. Who knows where he could have gone? But he did come back a few years later, raced the Viper at Le Mans and showed to everybody that he hadn't lost his touch. But the meteoric trajectory of his career, especially probably heading towards NASCAR, was definitely cut short. He then went on to a lot of uh, notoriety on Speed Channel. He had Test Drive, that amazing show he did, which was really great fun, produced by Robert Dalrymple, and then became a broadcaster. And that's where he and I first really connected. And we went on to form the talk show, and we've been doing that ever since at IMSA races and other events. So TK is one of the good guys, and he's also someone with the cerebral, cerebral, I can't even say it, bandwidth to analyze everything about every form of racing. So without further ado, TK, finally mate, I'm sure you've been feeling a little little left out. Welcome to
1: Drive to Win. Well, hey, you've had all those big F1 superstars, and you're there in uh in Vegas. I I I don't blame you for getting caught
0: up in. I, You know what? It was at the weekend, I thought to myself, Tommy, Tom, there he is. He's the big deal, the grand fromage. I need to get get hold of you. But first of all, what a weekend, right? Didn't you have fun?
1: Yeah, I'll tell you what, uh, Ren Sport, something else. Um, it's a testament to how long they've been doing what they're doing and as they've been doing it as well as they've been doing it. they Uh, Is like a religion. Uh, You know, I know I was an F1 cast. There was a lot of rumors they were going F1 for a while, and it looks like the the deal uh, didn't happen. I think that's the one that Ford got at Red Bull.
0: Yeah, I mean, obviously, with the other arm of the family, they're going to come in, right? So I'm sure they won't have any problem getting credentials uh, as a group to go and watch it. But um, you said it at the weekend, and and it really stuck with me, and I think it puts into context just how good you were at the height of your career. You were the only guy not wanting, well, not the only guy, Max to to get eleven. Because what other man holds eleven wins in a row?
1: I wasn't the only guy. There's about half of the F one world that were I oh, think, rooting true, against yeah. him, as they always do when there's someone dominating. But uh, I was rooting against him for my own very selfish reasons. I wanted him to be stuck at ten wins with Richard Petty, who won ten NASCAR wins. So. Uh, I am so far now alone at eleven uh, for professional wins. Now it's not Formula One. Uh, Trans Am, uh, longest-running road racing series in America, um, is is was my gig, and uh, so it's. I was rooting hard against him, and I'm not ashamed to admit that.
0: <laughs> and so were the cats. Um, so I know you watch every kind of racing. You're a consumer of content. You always seem to be up on on what's been happening. How take us through the first half of the season? You know, not in detail, but this season is a season of two stories, two halves, uh, with one con- constant story arc being Max. How? What's your take on the season overall? You know, as a as a spectacle.
1: Well, it's it's funny because everybody says, "Oh, having someone dominant is not good." But in a way, if you think about it, what makes superstars is dominance. You know, the Jordan era, the Kobe Lakers era um, et cetera, et cetera. And so when you have a benchmark like that, it establishes a level of excellence. And then when, when it ends or when people turn it upside down, it means something. And so maybe not as interesting week to week. I was on a podcast last year, I think. And, uh, with Matt Farah or no, it was, uh, Spike Ferris and those guys. And they said, what can we do? Uh, what should formula one do? I said, they should ban Adrian Newey. And I was half kidding. So, uh, but they, they've done an amazing job and it's not just Adrian Newey, but without Adrian Newey and that car, we saw Max before they were dominant. And uh, he's, uh, you know, you could tell he was special because he's always outperforming his teammate, but uh, you got to have all the, uh, the wind at the the back as well.
0: I mean, it's been fun to, it's definitely been fun to watch. And I know it was a bit of a cliche. Oh, look, we saw in Singapore, that's what a race will be like if you didn't have Max in it. Well, the reality is you do have Max in it. And if you are if you follow it enough to, to look past what's happening in the first place or follow what he's doing and watch how brilliantly he gets there and the whole team executes, the story of the rest has been mesmerizing from Aston Martin up here. And now you've got, you know, Mercedes coming through and McLaren pulling their heads out of their derriere. You know, it's just really... It, it, there's a lot of storylines that I can't remember in Formula One as having as many to to get our teeth into.
1: I mean, there's no there's no shortage and they've they've done a good job of bringing them to the fore. At, at the pinnacle of any sport, when you go into the majors at the masters, there's someone maybe out front, but you've got, I mean, they're all incredible uh, performers. And so when someone's on their own level like that, it's a special level of appreciation, but there's always plots and subplots and so forth. One of the great, group of guys, like several groups that I watch. F one, It's totally polarizing because you've got the max fans. And I would say there are probably more non-max fans than max fans. And max is kind of the perfect villain. I mean, I think even his engineer doesn't care for him other than the fact that he keeps adding to his bonus, but you know, he's just such an insufferable little brat on one level and an absolute phenom on another. So he's, he's, He's a great villain in that regard, which is every sport needs that.
0: I love the way you said that because I think people would have said that about you at one point in your career, right? Is is that is that what you need to be that good in any sport? I mean, that's a bigger question.
1: You don't need to be that way, but it's it's how it evolves a lot because what drive you know he racers are professional complainers, and what the ones that are skilled at it, at, at the other part of it, it fo- points them in the right direction on how to extract performance from themselves, the car and the team. And so they're never happy. Now, some people are a little more graceful about it. And I think obviously when you see someone like a, uh, well, Lewis is a good example. Lewis had a major chip on his shoulder for the first part of his, of his career. So he was, in some ways for me, he was hard to root for. Hmm. And it was almost like a, a light switch Flipped at one point during the season, I think with with uh, Nico uh, when Nico won the championship, and I think he, he for somehow he seemed to gain a greater perspective. Same driver, same skills, still getting better, but more graceful. So I there's something to be said for in the formative years. It's oftentimes that's that's how you get these these great diamonds.
0: Mm. I I mentioned it last week actually that. I see that in Orlando. Now, Lando is, is the cheeky little chap, but I also see this bulldog waiting there. You know, I don't I think he's the little guy that won't back down to anybody. Probably got into fights at school. I just see him as being, you know, I think when when the when the heat is turned on on he and Piastri as teammates, I I for all the joviality and camaraderie. I see him a little bit like that. I think he's he's the all-round nice guy, but I think he could be a I think he'd be a really tough little idiot, really, in a way. What do you think about that?
1: Yeah, I mean, you see that sometimes I, I speak from experience. I was more on the nice guy and I was afraid to ruffle feathers early in my career. Mm-hmm. And then I got a little bit pissed off, to be honest. And that's what gave me the final edge that came together with all my years of practice and so forth. And Lando's a little bit like that. He obviously comes, you know, good upbringing. He's a a nice kid. I've met him briefly with with Zach a few times. And but, uh, you know, you get close and for a while it's like, oh, wow, I'm, I'm, I'm running at the front. Oh, I'm a podium. I'm kind of punching above my weight. But at some point, that's not enough. And you see him sort of starting to. Uh, to round into this guy that can go head-to-head with Max, isn't intimidated by him, realizes, you know what, I'm just a couple little tweaks or good days away from, from being exactly on his level.
0: Mm, mm. Good point. Well, we have to follow those. You just mentioned, Zach, it made me think about something. We talk about the, the drivers, we talk about the, the, the team managers, but we never really compare the team managers if you think about a Christian Horner career, he was 30 when he was brought in, really having run his own team with his dad, you know, won some championships, brought in to run the Red Bull program in 2000, whatever it was. Um, you know, he's grown up in the sport. He was a heck of a driver, Christian. And he is obviously tough as nails, an amazing negotiator. And then on the other side, you've got a Zach Brown who who could probably you know, convince your grandma to take the wheels off her wheelchair in his favor because he's such a negotiator and maybe the best sponsorship man in the in the business at the moment. I mean, you think about that, they, you've also got these mega personalities, TK, at the top. And that must, we know that has an influence on how the teams are run. What, are your, what do you think about the two of them uh, sort of almost head to head? They got their own race going. They do.
1: And, uh, you know, th- th- there's different ways to, to get at the same point. You know, um, some people are really fear based and really tough and, and like a, a helmet Marco who just really, and that's just the way he's wired. And you have some people that figure, you know, they're tough, but they're going to get it out of your little way, a little more fatherly and coax you and make you mm-hmm. believe it, but also hold you to account, which I think is more, more the Zach thing. Um, I met Christian in his 20s when he was running Arden because our friend Townsend ran him in Formula 3000. And so I watched with uh, great as he took over Red Bull. And he's an incredibly switched on guy that understands every single facet of it really well. Zach doesn't, Zach has done some driving, you know, knows, you know, he's not a guy who hasn't driven, but hasn't run a team. He was building his business. So uh, there are some, I'm sure Zach learned a lot about building his business and incentives and so forth and how to get the best out of his people. But that's one of the fascinating things about sport. Um, It's the ultimate meritocracy, but there's no one way to do it. And uh, and that's obviously, you know, the spotlight of Drive to Survive has really given people an insight into that. But I've always thought that was one of the more interesting things about who gets the most and what way ultimately leads you to a higher level of performance. I, I'm a believer that if you're super fear-based, you'll never get the most out of people. Fear is a great motivator, but um, being comfortable and supported, if you can keep the accountability there is ultimately where you get to a higher level.
0: Mm. It's it funny. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it was uh, last year, there was this great uh, moment at, for the Peterson uh, Gold, you know, platinum club or whatever it is. They had all their members there. And Zach was the talker. And I'm sitting, you know, eight feet away and it was really fun. Were you there that night? I can't yep. remember. Anyway, he's talking and he starts off by going, someone brings up Drive to Survive and he goes, yeah, we really don't like each other any more than you see on the TV. Just as much as you see, we don't like it each other. And I thought it was brilliant because he was just went on to say, you know, like imply that the, Behind closed doors meetings that they have are just gold. Can you imagine that, TK? Because it's it's not just sport. And we've been in we've been in the stewards' office, you and I, when there's barely any money on the table at stake, and uh, everyone fights like rabid pit bulls. Their corner. Can you imagine with these hundreds of millions of dollars on the line? How how intense those negotiations must be. Well, it's funny. I had a
1: similar conversation with Zach about his rivalry with Chip Ganassi, and you, know, you know, a lot of it involved Formula One with the young drivers Piastri and Palau and uh, Pato Award. And I, it was a, I was saying these series sometimes they get, they in the need to get some attention and some drama they sort of manufacture it. And I say you don't need that because the real stuff is even better. And I said, I'm assuming you. He says, oh, Chip and I, none of that is fake. It is a hundred percent authentic. They don't like each other. Period, and they are trying to figure out how to inu- outmaneuver, undermine. You know, it's uh, it's Machiavellian, and it, it the the more insight we get into that in this era where there's so much, so many, everyone's a reporter with their phone on their social media. So the stories they never get confirmed, but you can tell pretty well what's going on by uh, where all the smoke's coming from, and and it's it's the ultimate reality show. And it's all real. The drama, and there's nothing like drama. All sports has drama, but there's nothing like drama where there's real danger and, and and huge consequences to mistakes. That's why racing has always kind of separated itself in that regard. Thankfully, it's a lot safer, but it's still really intense. And-
0: you and I talk quite a lot when we're trying to plan out where we should go with the talk show and IMSA and sports cars and, and NASCAR and, you know, you've been a player in all those. What why do you think Drive to Survive worked on Formula One and everyone else has tried to mimic it and it's just fallen flat, basically? Why? Why?
1: I don't know how they did it, but somehow they got buy-in from the people because the sport we're in, from a very young age, people get, they self-censor and they edit and they and they don't give you what you really want. And somehow, and I know not all the teams bought in at first, but they had enough people buy-in at the beginning to give them... the you know, not all of the truth, but enough real authentic stuff that it gave you a glimpse and people were hooked. And so that's the challenge. If you watch reality shows of other types, the first seasons are always the best. And people, once they see themselves on camera, tend to self-censor from yeah. that point. Uh, the Kardashians be a notable exception. They don't do that. And, and it's why there, people cringe, but it's also why you can't take your eyes off. And so I think that's what somehow drive to survive got these people that are noted for secrecy and don't want to see, you know, even things that don't matter is classified. And, uh, and somehow they got them to let their guard out enough. Um, and they trusted them and the results speak for themselves.
0: I'm just depressed. Cause I've, made all sorts of sex tapes and never become popular on social media. So what am I supposed to do, TK? I mean, that's how you get it started. Know, if you, if you ever
1: re- release your vasectomy tape Oh, that's uh, pre-post, that one
0: might put you on the map and on the Kardashians. Oh, guys, it's an, anyone, uh, anyone DM me, I'll tell you why. Yes, I had a vasectomy. And yes, I made a video about me, me afterwards. Not fun, <laughs> involving a bag of peas. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> um, so other than the fact you were tall enough to play basketball, but not when you were younger, but when you got going in racing, Formula One must have seen such, it was the pinnacle. I always ask every driver, every driver would like to to be there. But as a young American driver, especially doing all that, you know, the SCCA stuff and, and coming up through GTU and GTO, was it ever on your radar? Could you ever see a line to get in a Formula One car?
1: I don't know if I could ever see a line, but I could, I don't know, something that happened my, uh, oh, my screen went dark for a second. But that's the beauty. No, you don't have to see a line. It was absolutely my goal. Those those little label makers that used to have that punched out the letters on vinyl on my mirror when I was 10, 11 years old, it said 1990 world champion on my mirror that I looked at every morning. And I, I came up short. I was the 1990 Trans Am champion, but I was not the 1990 Formula One champion. Um, but I've always been a huge fan. Um, one of the great moments, experiences of my life was going to uh, see Senna Race in Brazil in 1988 for my 21st birthday. My parents said, you can go to any race. And I went there and it was like a religious experience seeing him perform in front of his home, home crowd and the devotion they had for him. When, without telling you the whole story, when he dropped out of that race, about 90% of the crowd just got up and left. Nelson B K was still in the race. Guzman was still in the race, but Senna was their guy. And so I also got to not race with him, but we were the support race for the 1990 Phoenix Grand Prix, Trans Am was. And so um, I was standing in the corner when he had the battle with a Lacey. And so it was It was always my goal. I figured out, you know, probably about 1990, that that probably wasn't going to happen for me.
0: Uh, well, you got closer than most. I mean, your career was so... Was, was was on track so so well before the horrible crash. Um, but uh, friends of ours uh, that we know every generation of the family, the Andretti's, they had some pretty good news this week. The first, uh, Mario was on the show a couple of weeks ago, TK, and he was. I asked him, he went, I can't talk about it, which made me feel pretty good about it because he told us back in May that they were going to know by the middle of July. And here we are, you know, we're in late September and he still didn't know kind of a good thing, I I thought. FIA approval, now Formula One management have to pass it. Um, Back to those very tough conversations that they're going to be having between the Horners and the Zacks and, you know, all the guys in uh, in Formula One, but those teams. Uh, The significance as a young American, you know, you are an American, you were a young American driver. How important is it to get Andretti? For America, back into Formula One. Well, I kind
1: of have, I want to see Andretti there. I want to see an American team do it. I'm kind of, Americans just love to see excellence and they love Red Bull as much as they love anything else. So I don't think it's essential. Um, I'm pulling hard for Andretti to do it, but um, it's always been a little odd to me. There's a lot of Formula One or American tech money in formula one right now. And I've always been a little surprised that you didn't get one of these very patriotic, you know, 50 billionaire, $50 billion guys like Larry Ellison or someone saying, I want an American team to be at the very pinnacle. I'm a little surprised that hasn't happened. Maybe that's part of what's happening, uh, behind the scenes with Andretti. I hope so. I hope they're properly, uh, supported so that they can really make a go of it. Um, you know, uh, getting through Formula One management, the FIA approval is, is, is it's it's a long ways from being done. Uh, you know how giving up the TV money, you, you bring that another another uh, set of hands in asking or, you know, splitting that up uh, doesn't go uh, through very easily. So, you know, we'll see. I think it would be it would be good, I think, for the sport. But we've had an American team with uh, with Haas. And it, um, again, I think Americans just love to see excellence. They love to see big personalities wherever they're from, and America is a huge melting pot in that way. And so we are kind of quick to love anyone that that is great at what we love.
0: Yeah, you brought a hus, hus, but they they don't even really mention they're American. So it's a kind of a strange. There's definitely a strange side to. They did on the front end. At first, yeah. they said
1: we're going to work really hard to to chase an American, and and um. Alexander Rossi was the only guy with the super license back in the day. He'd won at every level. And when they didn't even give him a test, which I don't have confirmation, but I heard from a very good source that Gunther Steiner wasn't a fan of Rossi's dad. And I don't know if that's true. If that's true, though, I, that was just really disheartening. Because here's a guy who's won at every level and he has a super license. At least give him a test. Tell his dad to you know to bugger off and ban him. Like yeah. Danica's dad was banned or Paul Tracy's dad was banned from
0: from being around, if you don't like, it. yeah, that's true. Yeah, the Gunter Steiner effect, right? Um, there's always he's a polarizing character. Um, talk about winning, uh, winning a championship. Now, I think I know where you're going to head with this. You, you're a guy that you dominated in your championships, and you often close them out before the end. I imagine, uh, depending on the way the point structure is. You said about Senna falling out to Brazil and everyone stood up. They've also, they know the statistics show that if you win something too early, even the Super Bowl by half, you know, half time, if someone's leading, it does cut down the viewership. But winning a championship for Max Verstappen, which is basically going to happen this weekend, bar, I don't know, something crazy, uh, it's an extraordinary feat. And we should not minimize what he has achieved, correct? Right?
1: No, I mean it's even more uh, incredible to do it to do it so early. Um, so it's not as interesting for the viewing audience, but it's it's arguably a, an even greater accomplishment. You because know? you've got you know, I always I don't when when people stand up, you don't see it as much in Formula One, but you see it in, in NASCAR a You say, you know, this is really my team works harder than anyone else, and they think that because they know you can't possibly work that hard, any harder. But every single team is working hard, and so. When you have that much, that many resources, that many smart people, that many capable drivers, and you have one group on just a, a completely different level, we should all take a moment and, uh, and, and give them a round of applause and, and hold it up for what it is. I mean, obviously, the McLaren season that they finally eclipsed has been held in, in huge, uh, huge regard ever since. It's one of the legendary eras, like, like I mentioned the Lakers or the Bulls. Uh, this Red Bull team will go down forever. As one, and this is just sort of the the official confirmation of that, and the awarding of the of the reign, if you will.
0: So, when you sit there with your uh, buddies watching your group, who I'm sure, as you say, are pretty opinionated, at watching Formula One races, and you have Paul Tracy on speed dial letting you know his theory on everything in the world, I do want Paul on the show one day. I just got to make sure I have a contract signed for the next year before he does come on. Um, what what would you do? If you were Christian Horner about Perez,
1: boy, Perez has been a real riddle. I'm 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 a big uh, Perez fan, and he he earned that ride, you know, by outperforming in in you know uh, other teams, and uh, it just shows you what a mental game this is. Um, and you can get into these. There's virtuous cycles, and there's there's death spirals, and he got himself into a kind of a death spiral or confidence wise and mentally early in the, early in the deal. Um, whew, you know, you'd have to weigh it against your, your other options really. And so, you know, there's, there's a bunch of factors, obviously Max is their guy. So you don't want to upset the apple cart by bringing someone in that's going to upset Max, but you know, inner team, strong teammates, push people. And so I don't think you need to push Max really, but uh, you know, I, I guess I'd watch him for the rest of the year. And if he can't sort of, uh, flip himself back over and uh, and start performing like we know he can, you, you kind of have to say, um, you know what? This is too good a, a deal. And, and from a manufacturer's championship, uh, we need the extra help. Uh, yeah. in, in all likelihood going forward, and
0: uh, you'd have to make a change. Here's a thought for you. What if, I said at the top of the show, what if um, Rick Daniel stays in Alpha AlphaTauri and you put Liam in the second Red Bull? I mean... Uh, I- it's you kind could. of an interesting I one. Mean, it's sex- he's shown, sexy. He's shown
1: enough. I mean, no one other than the real insiders knew who Liam Wasson was. And even on the weekend with no practice, uh, did respectably and has done really well since. So, uh yeah, I guarantee you, uh, Ricardo was probably sweating bullets that uh, he was probably in line for another big payout if they told him to stay home from there on. Um, but uh Lawson, I mean, there's there's a bunch of there's a bunch of hot hot shot young guys. Um, you have to see who's free. Everybody, it seems, you know, that's part of the game with the big teams is they try to tie up as many young guys as they can, even if they're not going to use them. Obviously, Zach was doing a lot of that last year. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, you, you'd have anyone, you'd have guys breaking contracts, big guys, to get in that car if they could. So it, it'd be interesting if, if that seat really is
0: what. As much as we think about it, oh, this is how I always kind of ruminate on this. If you and I are talking about this like this, you know that they're really talking about it. I'll do the, all the information. So, well, that's always, always interesting to get your perspective, TK. I'm glad we have. Um, it is now time for the Mobile One pit stop for the love of driving. Tommy Kendall, I'm going to ask you these few questions. Who was the fastest guy that you ever raced that no one's heard of?
1: That no one has heard of. Um, you know, people have heard of him, Jeff Krosnoff, but he was killed before he really got to show himself on the on the world stage. But Jeff was the guy in starting out when we were in the junior formula, he was the guy that kind of showed everyone what it meant. He was more serious about fitness, never had a sip of alcohol, and uh, was was just the most committed person I've ever met. So Jeff, I gotta give Jeff Krosnoff a nod as as my inspiration, really.
0: Wow, brilliant. Your favorite racetrack?
1: Road America, Elkhart Lake, Wisconsin. Uh, it was my favorite one to watch before I was old enough to drive, and it's my favorite one to uh, to go back to to drive. It's just heaven. The surrounding area is heaven. It's 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 heaven on earth for me.
0: Your worst career decision? My worst career Not decision? Not including working with me, by the way.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, I... This wasn't really a decision but the most embarrassing moment was when I folded myself up into a chair that when I was meeting Roger Penske for the first time a, a journalist had arranged a meeting and Roger walked up to me and I pushed my chair back and the back didn't move and I ended up on the ground laying on the ground looking up at Roger Penske it's, it's no wonder he didn't hire me
0: that <laughs> I think you're right knowing him uh, other than the area you did compete in knowing sport motor racing like you do all the way through to today what other era do you think you could have shone in?
1: You know, one of my edges was figuring stuff out. And now with data and so forth, everyone has a, a lot more information. So I would, you know, if I could have raced in the e- Formula One era that I was, I, uh, that looks to be as good as it, it gets. It was it was safer than your dad's era, but it was not full of uh, as much of the, uh, the data and so forth as you have.
0: And finally, out of all the disciplines, which is the one you really wish you could have, you could have shown your mark in? I think I know the answer. I mean, Formula One is is it outside uh, the Formula one that? One, is, yeah.
1: Okay, more realistic for me would have been. Uh, I always wanted to go German touring car racing. That was the pinnacle of the production-based stuff. And I went to Helsinki and watched them race. Uh, Paul Newman, who I drove with at Daytona, called ahead. And KK uh, welcomed me to be part of his team. And I was really pushing to try to get in there. But Norbert Haug looked at me like I was invisible and uh, stared at my wife's chest the whole time. That was about it.
0: Well, you could have got the ride. Anyway, listen, TK, thank you so much, buddy. As always, great. I will see you very soon. Thanks for joining the show. And uh, I thought the answer was going to be NASCAR because... You know, I, you'd have looked pretty cool. You'd have been a great friend with a jet. That's all I'm thinking. Great. You were so close to making it. Thank you, my friend. We'll see you soon. Hey, race fans. Justin Bell here, former racing champion and host of the new F1 podcast, Drive to Win. So what is it about a race that's so exciting? Is it the breakneck speeds or the constant pressure or that ever-present threat of danger? Or is it simply the driving? Think about it. There's no phones. There's no laptops. No screens, just the world's greatest drivers, cars, and the ultimate freedom. Yep, for me, it's all of the above. Mobile one for the love of driving. But TK, believe me, if you want to go and check out uh, his, go on YouTube, check out his crash. It was pretty formidable, and uh, otherwise, he would have been one of the top NASCAR drivers. I mark my words. So this weekend, we're we're coming up for the Qatar Grand Prix. Uh, it was. First held in 2021, it is effectively designed as a MotoGP track. It didn't take place last year because of the FIFA World Cup, so that took all the resources of the country. When you look at the map, it's pretty much this crazy-shaped track of medium and high-speed corners predominantly, but it's stuck in the middle of the desert. I don't know what you do there. Uh, Other than that, when you go back to town, Um, It is a 5.4-kilometer track, uh, which is like, let's just say, over three miles. Very demanding. And it'll be interesting to see which of the teams this favors going into it. And I haven't really been able to find out too much information. And obviously, from two years ago, a lot's happened for these top-running teams. So we'll see how that unfolds when they get out there. Because it is a sprint race format. Two races at the weekend. And you know, that does bring in a different set of parameters for everybody. Not the sprint format works like thus. It's you have qualifying on the Friday night and then you have a sprint on Saturday for qualifying. Then you have their sh- the race in the afternoon, which will be a lot hotter than it will be when you do the main race on Sunday evening. I guess the the thing that is throwing um, oil in with the water here, so to speak, is the fact that they changed the point structure for the sprint race to give you 8 points for a for a win which is enough for max to clinch the championship and basically i think i wrote it down here all he has to do to win is i mean is actually not a lot i mean he needs to take uh he needs he's got a 177 point lead and all he needs to do is at outscore Sergio Perez by six points on the Saturday to retain to retain his title. So that's kind of uh, in racing terms with the Max's performance to date. Uh, not not a tall order, but you know what? Maybe it'll be another Singapore situation. Um, but then he'd still finish up in fifth and and, and win. So uh, the big story is he will, I think, win the World Drivers Championship this weekend, which is. And you just heard TK talk about it. It's just an extraordinary feat and will be amazing for for the whole team. And, uh, you know, he deserves it. So the interesting thing for me after that will be how the rest of the year unfolds, because you've taken away that pressure uh, from him and he'll just probably just run away even more. But interesting to see how the dynamics will work with everybody else. And when I say everybody else, look, Ferrari and Mercedes, there it is. You've got the momentum really with Ferrari, especially after their win in, in Singapore. But Mercedes are now only 20 points apart from them. So a lot to shoot out. And with the performance of Lewis and George Russell over these last few races, they're always there. Remember Lewis, the only guy to always be in the top 10 every race. Only other guy other than Max to always be in the top 10 throughout, throughout the season. I mean, that is a fight on, and Ferrari for sure are gonna, going to want to end strong. So all four drivers on form, ready to race. It's, it's a recipe for some brilliant racing. The other duo, if you like, in this are McLaren and Aston. That strong start for Aston Martin. Uh, I mean, Fernando Alonso is on the podium. We're talking about championships and things in the first third of the year. It was a heady concoction of the way they'd... Interpreted the rules and done the upgrades and spent the money early season and uh, really outsmarted the rest right up until McLaren came up with those upgrades in Austria and have just been on a roll. And I, I mean, when I talked about Lando earlier, I wasn't knocking. Him, I was just saying, I think he has those tough ingredients to, to be a champion. Um, and Oscar Piastri is right there. Jeremiah, my producer, just gave me an interesting stat. They scored only 17 points in their first eight races, and they've added 155 points in the eight races since then. Pretty wild, isn't it? That's working. So a lot to play for. Just follow along this weekend. It is set your, uh, your DVR or whatever to record it. There's a lot of Formula One. And I think just watching Max, his emotions, the team's emotions, if he does clinch on Saturday kind of I hope he has a bad Saturday and then a really great Sunday because I I personally would like to see him win the championship in a a full championship point race of course when it comes to racing uh, in Formula 1 we are getting closer every day to the Heineken Silver Grand Prix here in Las Vegas and the car it's interesting you know I've shown you that car there's a Formula 1 car in the lobby of the win here in Las Vegas and it's now been moved into the middle of the atrium for for sort of a better photography moment. I saw that this morning and it it really is ramping up. As I drove down the strip today, grandstands going up. You can see the impact. I mean, they've totally changed the front of um, Caesars to allow for the grandstands. And it's quite remarkable. But when you're only uh, five weeks, six weeks out from the race, you know there's an awful lot of work that has to go into it. So the place is really coming together and it uh, couldn't be more exciting. Do go to winlasvegas.com slash experiences slash F1 and just check it out. Um, do yourself a favor. Go and see. There's a lot of information there on how you can be here. It's incredible to say, but the the entire property is starting to sell out as we move our way towards the Grand Prix. People are realizing at first they went, oh, wow, this is very expensive. Crazy expensive, but now they're realizing when you break it down, it's the way to go. So please go and check it out. And if you starting with our concor, moving into the Wednesday when there's going to be a big red carpet event here at the Wynn, all the way through to the Grand Prix on the Saturday night, it is going to be spectacular. And the whole team here at, uh, from Blue Wire and on Drive to Wynn, we're going to be out there getting interviews, filling the studio with all our guests. It's, it's going to be magnificent. Anyway, follow along. Uh, don't forget to tell everyone about the show and share uh, the link and tell them this is the one you want to watch if you want to be ready for Formula One in Las Vegas. Thank you so much for watching. Thank you very much for the win Las Vegas for all their support and to MOBA One reminding us that it's all about that love of driving. See you next week.